For those of you that are in King's Kids, you can head on up to your class right now. And if you'd like to listen to the service in Spanish, we have that available, live translation. You could dial the number that's on the screen. And we are going to continue our study in Hebrews. We're going to be talking about Moses again. This is uh, the final portion of the passage in this section of Scripture about Moses. And we talked about his being set apart at birth by God, being lovely in the sight of God. We also took a page before that and saw even how his parents had to hide him for three months because of the order that was given by Pharaoh to start getting rid of some of these Jewish people that are just overrunning the nation. Maybe they'll turn upon us. And we took it a step even before that when the Hebrew midwives set the whole tone and said, we are going to obey God. And so they did not kill the babies that were told by Pharaoh to kill them. They, they, they didn't do that. And, and, and God blessed them in their household. We talked about how faith doesn't need to be from some great spiritual giant. The smallest, most insignificant act of faith from the smallest, you know, seemingly smallest, ins- insignificant person or position can be used greatly by God. And we continue that story by talking about the life of Moses. And today we're going to really dig in to this man's faith, uh, and I hope into a practical way. So our passage is Hebrews 11, and this is verses 28 and 29. And it says, by faith, he, meaning Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who would destroy the firstborn would not touch them. Verse 29, by faith, they, the nation of Israel at the time, passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. Excuse me. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, they were drowned. Came across a really interesting quote the other day. It's not from a Christian by any means. It's maybe some of you have heard of Sigmund Freud, the famous neurologist who invented and developed the technique of psychoanalysis. He said something very profound, I think, and very applicable to the Christian life. It says, most people do not really want freedom, but because freedom involves responsibility, most people are absolutely frightened by that freedom. They're frightened by the responsibility that comes with freedom. Again, he wasn't a Christian, and I'm not preaching him or recommending him in any way as a little side note there, so hold the emails. (laughs) But this statement is very true about the Christian life. You know, someone convicted of their sin, they know they must repent, they know they have to get rid of it, but because they've become so comfortable in that sin is one thing, but then the daunting thought of having to turn from that sin and step into this new area of freedom, that's a very scary place for people to live. How will I live up to it? An addict may want to be free of addiction, but he knows that with this freedom will come the need for discipline, a new mindset, a change of lifestyle, all which require responsibility. That's going to be our hot-button word today, responsibility. One of the major problems I believe Moses encountered was the incredible responsibility that would come with delivering the people out of Egypt. 
He didn't want to do it at first, if you've ever read the story, when he was approached by God at the burning bush, and God said, hey, you're the guy, I'm going to send you into Pharaoh. He said, well, Lord, uh, you know, I'm not really that good of a speaker, you know, I can't really talk too much, and, and he made all these excuses, and then he finally just said, please, Lord, don't send me, find somebody else, to paraphrase him. But Moses ended up having faith. He ended up doing this and following through. But I see that one of the major problems within the church and within individual Christians as well is the same thing. It's the thought of living up to and living out the responsibility that comes with our great deliverance in Christ. It can be daunting to some. Some of you here are even struggling with that. I could guarantee it. We talked about being on the fence last week. Some of us on the fence. If I go fully on this side, on God's side of the fence, how am I going to be able to live up to it? I don't trust myself. Will I fail? And of course, we can't trust ourselves. We have to trust God. But even though we know certain things, Sometimes even when we preach to others, we have a difficult time even preaching to ourselves and understanding it. So you know the story of Moses. He took action despite this initial lack of faith. He listened to God. He followed his lead step by step back to Egypt. But this was only the beginning. Would Moses actually, and here's our second hot button word for today, implement the responsibility? Would he live up to this great responsibility to deliver the people out of Egypt and actually follow through with the complete exodus? See, page one was going there and dealing with Pharaoh. That was the easy part. Now the rubber was going to hit the road. In Moses' hands was the success or failure of what I like to call the official launch of the visible people of God, that visible assembly, congregation, church, if you will. In his hands was the way, not just out of Egypt, but in his hands was a paintbrush that would paint out the absolute formula and foundation for the entire church going forward. God's rescue from from Israel out of Egypt is literally the backdrop of every book in the Bible. After, obviously, the incident took place. It was the hope of the people of Israel. The one thing they hoped for when they were in exile, when they were suffering the discipline of God, was that we know God delivered us from Egypt. We know he's going to do it again. The same with the backdrop in the New Testament. They were waiting for the Messiah, knowing that God would deliver them and follow through on his promise. But it all started with the one individual's faith, Moses, to be able to overcome and implement the responsibility that he was given. The Exodus is a story that all of us, hopefully, can identify with. It's really each one of our startup stories. We were in bondage, whether we knew it or not. We were stuck, whether we knew it or not. We were without hope. We tried everything, and nothing worked. And then, by God's grace and his love, He delivered us out of bondage into freedom through Jesus Christ. But exiting was just one thing. Now living it out is something totally different. It requires the responsibility to properly implement 
what you have been given. See, when we become saved, when we, when we come to know Christ, there's great joy and great freedom and we have peace with God. But we have to resist the fact that that's it. That's just page one of a thousand page book. All the other pages are that implementation, that responsibility. So what I want to look at today is the several ways that Moses exercised his faith, took responsibility, implemented his faith. And of course, the implementation and this responsibility is the true marker of authentic faith at its greatest point. Maybe some of you are just coming to Christ and you say, whoa, what is all this? You know, like we were talking about the Trinity in Sunday Bible school and Sunday Bible study. That's a new way to say it. <laughs> Sunday Bible school. And, you know, I made a statement that said, if you it, 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 unless you're Trinitarian, it's really difficult to say that you're Christian. But then I said, look, if you're it's that doesn't mean that you understand it all. It doesn't mean that if you've just come to Christ, like, well, I don't know about this Trinity thing. God is going to reveal it to you through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so same with the implementing the responsibility of being a Christian. It comes gradually, but just know that it comes and no one escapes it. God saved you for the world, not from the world. And so we're going to look at how Moses exercised his faith and did this. And I believe the first thing that he did is that he exercised the responsibility and the implementation of what we just read in the Old Testament, and that is the Passover. So much to be said about the Passover. So tempting to just dive into the obvious, you know, the, the parallels with Christ. And we're going to talk about that. But first, I want to say, what is the actual meaning of the Passover? It says, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. Now, if you know the story, you know that Moses, when he first got the commission, he went to Pharaoh and he told him to let my people go, thus saith the Lord. Pharaoh resisted. And God brought on a bunch of plagues. He brought on the blood, the water turning to blood, the frogs, the, the lice if, or, or gnats, however you want to look at it, the, uh, the flies, the locusts, and all the other plagues. And it came down to the very last plague, which was the most absolutely devastating, which made the biggest statement of them all. And that was the plague, as we read, of the firstborn of Egypt being killed. Now again, this is hard to talk about because God, a lot of times in the scriptures, we, we read certain things about God and we're saying, well, wait a minute, how could uh, God do this? Well, really, I love it because people often say, how can a what? Loving God do this. And really, the question is, is how can a loving God not do it? You see, because God is love. Everything he does is out of that motive. So it's impossible for God to be cruel. It's impossible for God to be unjust. So God, he executed this killing of the firstborn because of Pharaoh's heart being hardened, resisting God, and because Pharaoh, he's, taught, he's teaching them that eye for an eye, had his firstborn and had been tormenting and enslaving his firstborn, which was Israel. But that very last plague was the Passover. And as we read a little bit about it, we, we have the spotless lamb, 
The people were to eat this on the night and kill the lamb all at the same time together at the whole assembly. They were to eat that lamb. They were to eat it in haste with their loins girded and their sandals on. And then they were to take that blood and put it over the doorpost because the angel of death was coming and he would see the blood and he would literally pass over. He would pass over the homes of Israel, the places where they lived, and they would not be touched. And of course, we could see where that was going. But really, the Passover is much bigger. It really points to something much more robust. You see, the Passover, and to understand this great responsibility that Moses had, was much more than just the covering of the blood and leading the people out of Egypt. The true meaning of the Passover is more than just a covering of sin. Listen to what the Lord says in uh, Exodus 12, verses 2, speaking of this. This month shall be a beginning of months for you. It shall be the first month of the year to you. In verse 11, he says, Now you shall eat it in this manner with your loins girded, the sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, what we just covered. And then it says, It is the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover. What does the word Passover mean? Very significantly, it means new beginning. The Passover was about saving the people of Israel but it was about saving them to implement a new start, a new beginning. They were to pass over that boundary line. They were to pass over that line that says, well, I'm in Egypt, and now I'm going to go and be God's people. He was calling them out on this new beginning of months. It actually means passing into the new year. And so this is ultimately a picture of that new life, that new age that began And that does begin not only with each one of us, but what began at the resurrection of Christ when he launched the fulfillment of all the prophecies of God, not only coming to restore his people, but to start that new creation and to launch the kingdom of God. Yes, the kingdom of God is upon you, Jesus said over 110 times or so. So Moses had the faith to execute and implement this responsibility more than just an an exodus but a new beginning for the people of God. Now look at how this connects. You see, this doesn't just mean for the people of God there. You see, whether you know it or not, we have great continuity with the people of Israel. There's not a discontinuity there. There wasn't two different churches. You saw Moses, ultimately what he was doing was he was connecting that crossing over, that passing into the new world, going and heading to the promised land all the way to what Christ would do in the new heavens and the new earth, which he launched at his resurrection. This is the entire hope that the book of Hebrews chapter 11 has been talking about the whole time, focused on that promise. They didn't see the promise, but they endured because they knew and they had the hope in the promise. And he started all the way back with Abel. He went all the way through the patriarchs. And we talked about how each one of them, they were looking for more than just personal salvation. They were looking towards that new start, that resurrection, that new creation. How does that relate to our responsibility? Another interesting thing I came across, Saudi, uh, Saudi Aramco. This is a petroleum company that is known as the world's most profitable company company. 
Last year, it earned $105.37 billion in profit. It's unheard of. I can't even think about that and understand it. Close second was Apple's $95 billion, and then Berkshire Hathaway comes in uh, way, way down at $89 billion. But imagine having been part of these companies from the very beginning. Do you think these companies would have grown if you just sort of remained inactive? Do you think their CEOs and their founders just sort of said, oh, well, we started the company. That's good. Everything's done now. No, these companies grew to where they grew because somebody believed and implemented what they had to do day in and day out to make them work. Now, I just, it, it, it makes me think of our great responsibility that we don't just have this exit from the old life through a personal Passover, but we're part of the absolute biggest, most lucrative startup venture in all of history. The people of God, the church, it will absolutely consume the entire world. Your work, the things you do, your faith is playing a part in something that will ultimately do more than any of these multi-billion dollar companies. It will absolutely change the world. It will save men from present and eternal misery. It's something that will bring in the creation into a state of everlasting peace and righteousness. And what you are doing right now for Christ is pointing, adding, and contributing to that mission and that venture. So our responsibility doesn't stop at deliverance. Deliverance is page one. The hardest thing is getting Christians and getting myself and getting all of us to see this new beginning, to see what Jesus actually did at the resurrection, to see that they are part of something that's so big, that's so great, that's not measured in money. It's not measured necessarily in numbers. It's measured by the intent of your heart. It's measured by you using what you were given. What are your gifts? What are your talents? What are your skills? Where is your heart? These are the vehicles that God is using collectively to push and break that kingdom into this world more and more. You may have heard the story about draft horses or workhorses. A single workhorse or draft horse, these are horses that are bred for work. They can pull a load individually at 8,000 pounds. Now you may think, well, how many can two pull? 16,000 pounds? Wrong. Two draft horses pulling together can pull twice as much as one. They actually, I'm sorry, they don't pull twice as much. They pull three times as much. Two draft horses, each can pull eight, individually 8,000 pounds, but together, what do they pull? 24,000 pounds. This is more than just a teamwork example to get you to start working together as a group. This is a great illustration of how God moves the kingdom forward. He could do it in a second. He doesn't need us, but his love and his grace compels him to include us. And that's what the amazing responsibility that we have, just like the talents, we've seen it in Matthew 25. To one he gave five, to another two, and to another one. And the ones that used the talents, they received, not only did they double, 
but they received something from the Lord that we all want, and that is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But that final one that just had that one talent, what did he do? We know the story. He buried it because he was afraid, and he made assumptions about the Lord and his master. And he says, whoever has will be given more. And then whoever takes this one talent and and uses it and multiplies it, he's going to have more and more. But the one who doesn't do it, it's going to be taken away from him. How many of us are sitting here right now with talents, skills, and abilities, but we're saying, I don't know if I go over there, am I going to be able to do it? Don't be afraid of the responsibility. As we're going to see that God is going to use you, he's going to multiply you, and he's going to be there with you every step of the way. And that leads us to the second point, that Moses' faith came with the responsibility and implementation for absolute literal salvation. Well, again, salvation means rescue. And so Moses... (laughs) One of the reasons I'm sure why he was a little cautiously optimistic about to say the, the best about it is that he knew that God was about to make a great deliverance. He knew lives would be in the balance. And the Passover blood saved the people of Israel. The blood of the Passover saved them from the angel of death. But it also points the way for salvation to the true Israel of God. From, from the beginning all the way to the end. Again, Moses, his implementation, his responsibility, reverberating through history. He was laying the groundwork for what? We see it all in the Passover meal. We see it all in the Passover sacrifice. We see it in all the ritual. He was laying the groundwork for the death of Christ, the Messiah. We've already learned last week that he chose to have the reproach of the Messiah rather than the pleasures of Egypt. So he knew that there was going to be a savior and he had the responsibility. Maybe he didn't know exactly what he was doing at the time, but he had the responsibility of showing the people the way to not only out of a bondage of sin and slavery for the people, but for all the people that would follow for all of history The the Passover points to one thing, Jesus' sacrificial death as our Passover lamb. John 1, 9, right at the beginning of his book, he said the next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover lamb, it points to Christ's work in so many ways. We have You know, for Israel, it was the blood of the lamb poured out and put on the post. But for us, it's Jesus spilling his blood, covering our sins and saving us not from physical immediate death necessarily, but permanent separation from God and permanent death. He was that perfect lamb. He was that without spot. Not one of his bones were broken, just like the Passover lamb had to be. The Passover lamb was what? It was eaten and consumed. It was cooked, but it was also burned with fire, symbolizing the wrath and the justice of God that Christ took in his own flesh for us. The lamb had to be wholly eaten and entirely eaten, exactly how Christ is our spiritual food 
that nourishes us as we go and trek out into the wilderness. Moses saved people through this Passover. We know it was God providing it, but it was because of his unrelenting faith, his belief, and his responsibility. A friend of mine is using a product that is literally changing his life. He feels better. He looks better. He's more productive. He's telling everyone about it. I asked him why he's so passionate, and the answer was obligation and responsibility. He feels it's a moral decision whether or not to tell people about it because he knows that his product, he's so sold on it. Come see me afterwards if you want to hear about it. Joking. No, but he's so sold about it that he feels it's an absolute moral obligation to tell people about it. How much us with the moral obligation that we have to implement this Passover to the people that we see, like Moses did. I don't, maybe you're, you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about evangelizing. I'm talking about sharing your faith, telling people about the blood of the Lamb. Well, I'm not an evangelist, Pat. That's not my gift. We've all heard it. We've all said it. Okay, we have, right, it's not your gift. There's no gift of evangelism. There's a command, but there's no gift. If there was, I'd be praying for it. There's a command to evangelize, but the problem is, it's everybody else's job. Not my job was not in Moses' vocabulary. You may have heard the story about four people. One was named everybody, another somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody had done. See, telling people about the blood of Christ is not somebody's job. It's everybody's job. I was blown away by this story of Myung Hee. She's a, a North Korean defector. It's a true story. You can look her up. Myung, it's M, and then the word Young dash He, H-E-E. She escaped from the horrors of North Korea. I don't know if you're familiar with what goes on there, <clears throat> but it's an, absolute, it's an absolute pit of hell in North Korea. So she ended up escaping North Korea, <clears throat> trying to get out of there. Some of her family, at the time she didn't know it, but they were persecuted and killed for being Christians. It wasn't her immediate family. They wouldn't even tell people about it unless you were passed certain tests to make sure that you weren't a spy, because that's what North, Korea's, North Korea does, is they, they will punish you if you know that somebody else is a Christian. And a lot of times they'll send spies in from the government to try to find out who's a Christian. But anyway, she ends up escaping. She, she crosses the Timon River and she was met and hidden by Chinese Christians. She was ultimately converted. But then because of her understanding the great responsibility that she had and the very limited amount of people that could have this opportunity, she felt responsible to go back to North Korea after defecting, after converting to Christianity, 
And she did. She went back and shared the gospel. And miraculously, she ends up escaping again to talk about it. You see, we have the responsibility of sharing this new beginning, of sharing this Passover story for others to be, to, uh, for others to be saved and it's consistent implementation. It's not trying to go out and save the world all at once. It's not walking out of here feeling guilty like, oh, I got to just do. No, but it's saying, Lord, open my eyes. Give me those opportunities. And God will. He'll show you. The next thing is, is that this consistent implementation, this consistent responsibility is often sidetracked because of opposition. Our next verse says uh, in Hebrews 11, 29, it says they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Moses had this responsibility of facing opposition. Now, he, also, he definitely went before Pharaoh. But he went before Pharaoh before on totally different circumstances. Now Pharaoh was bad. Not only him, but the whole Egyptian army. They all lost children. They all lost cattle. Their lives had been a mess of what's going on because of Israel. Pharaoh had first said, yes, go, get out of here. But then he hardened his heart again. It actually says God hardened his heart and caused him to go after the people of Israel so God can show the Egyptians that he is, in fact, Lord and that he would get the glory. And so just know that you are going to have opposition. And it's not just in evangelism. We have an enemy that doesn't want the new beginning to launch that doesn't want the blood of the Passover to be preached. Moses had to face this enemy in what I call a threshold. He had to cross over. In, in, in screenwriting, I like to talk about that a lot, in storytelling, there's something called a threshold. And what that means is, is when the hero typically starts out in a story, everything's normal, everything's good, and usually about 25 minutes in, when, he, when, when, the, when it goes out of Act 1 and into Act 2, he has to cross over and pass through some sort of obstacle. Now, every threshold has what they call a threshold guardian. This is a gateway or a powerful somebody standing and trying to keep what they call in story the unworthy from entering. They must prove themselves to enter into this. In the movies, we can see them as doorkeepers bouncers, bodyguards, gunslingers, even demonic forces to warn when the hero is trying to move. My son had the Batman on the other day, and there were these two threshold guardians. Batman had to go in, and he had to find out, you know, he was investigating some killer, and of course, he had to go visit the penguin. And then he had these two muscle trigger twins, is what I found out they were called. They were the threshold guardians. They stopped Batman and said, no, you cannot come through. You're not allowed here. And this was a test. The very first one in the, in, really in the film. Would he turn around? And of course, Batman beats him up and ends up and goes and does what he has to do. But there's a threshold guardian in every one of our lives when we try to go out and stand for Christ and try to go out and build for the kingdom. The one thing that is in story, these guardians can be overcome they could be bypassed, or they can even be turned into allies. And so what was Moses' threshold and threshold guardian? 
Well, it was the Red Sea. And as we will see, it was turned into an ally. See, Jesus is the same thing. We know that he faced great temptation when he first became anointed with the Holy Spirit in his ministry. Matthew 3, 16 to 17, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open. He saw the spirit of God descending as a dove lighting on him. And a, and a voice comes out of the heavens. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the last verse in Matthew 3. And now Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Would he pass those temptations? Is he the real one? Would he get through this guardian to be able to launch this ministry and do all that God called him to do? Well, of course, you know the answer. But what about you? What's standing in your way right now? What monster is there testing to see if your faith is true and authentic? If the responsibility that you've claimed you have is real? You see, action always accompanies responsibility. The funny thing is, is that the Lord shows Moses exactly what to do. He tells him in Exodus 14, he says, he, he, he gives Moses this spirit of boldness. Moses cries out to the people as the, as the Egyptian army is coming up behind them in the Red Sea, that guardian is in front of them. He says, do not fear. He's, this is Moses. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. Notice he's doing it for the Lord, not in his own strength. He'll do that. He says, the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Ironically, as Moses is speaking this, you see, we can be always in that mode of getting ready. We're always in the mode of getting ready. Right? Maybe you're doing something, you're starting a project, you're, you're trying to create a product or whatever it is, and you just keep working on it, keep working on it. Or you're studying for something, you're studying and studying and studying, and eventually you're going to do something. Right? And it's, it's in screenwriting, since we're talking about that, it's the same thing. We rewrite, we rewrite, we rewrite. You know, finally got to stop and make the movie. Finally got to stop and take the action. And so all of Israel is motivated and inspired by the faith of Moses, and what do they do? They move through the barrier. The Lord says to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Tell him Moses to do this. And the sons of Israel will go through the midst of the sea on dry land. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. Not even muddy, dry. That was a strong wind. But it was implemented, right? It was implemented. God didn't say, stand back, I'm going to part the sea. He said, no, Moses, let's go. First, motivate the people. Then I want you to lift your hands, and I'm going to do this. And that's exactly what he did. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Again, the Red Sea. All of us have one standing right in front of us now. It's a perpetual happening. As we move forward, there's going to be more and more Red Seas. But what do you do? You surrender and go back? 
or do you move forward? Listen to these verses. This is a couple of verses later. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve. He made them drive with difficulty. And so the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see the synergy that's going on? You know, again, since we're talking about film here, and I don't know if you've ever seen in the movies, you have, you have, they have a clapperboard in film, right? Usually right before the director calls action, there's a, a, either a clapperboard, assistant camera or whatever, will come up and it tells you what scene it is. It tells you how many takes there are and he claps. You know why they do that? It's something called synchronization. You see, because in film, there's an audio guy who records all the audio, and there's a video guy who records all the video. It's not like our phones where we record both audio and video. It's audio and video. And the only way the editor can match up exactly the two without them, you know, somebody talking and moving their mouth and the words being off, is he goes by that clapper. He sees the picture of the clap from the video, and he hears the audio of the clap from the sound, and he syncs it together. This is exactly how we move with God. He synchronizes with our faith. Right at that point, when you take action, when you move out in faith, then God will move. He'll sync your faith and his power together. It says in Proverbs 16:9, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. We often want God to do all the fighting, and really he does, but his weapon to fight is you and me through our faith. It's our responsibility, like Moses, to use what we have at our disposal, your mind, your creativity, your sacrifice, your desire, your staff in your hands, your faith. This is what God uses. Deuteronomy 23, he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. Why? Because they are fighting, but it's God who is behind it. G.K. Chesterton, uh, Chesterton said, um, The true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. We move forward in faith because we love what's behind us. What's behind us? God's power. Who's behind us? The Holy Spirit. We're fighting for Jesus Christ, whom we love because he first loved us. This is our, well, this is Christ's world. He put a stake in the ground. We have authority by Christ to take a stand against evil. We have authority by Christ to preach the gospel. We have authority by Christ to do whatever it is he's given us to do to build and be a part of that new creation. And unfortunately, some of us are like this. Uh, if you read about it, uh, the Seattle homeowner, did you, you hear about he's forced to live in a camper van because his tenant occupied his house and he's now listing it on Airbnb. I know it's not funny. It's just it's comical, but it's not funny 
The tenant hasn't paid rent, which now amounts to $33,400, plus utilities and late fees. The homeowner's fighting it in court, but imagine if that homeowner, he's living out in his camp or someone else is occupying, he goes, ah, well, I can't do nothing about it anyway. This is just how the world is. I'm just passing through. This isn't my home. That's a lie. You see, our citizenship isn't here. Our citizenship is in heaven. But that citizenship is for here. See, we're to bring heaven to earth. And earth is where we will reside when it's combined with heaven. So we do have a responsibility here to fight for, against injustice, to preach the gospel, to save as many as we can in the power of Christ. Because it's his house. And don't let someone else occupy it without saying or doing something. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act. Irresponsibility with what we've been given is, my friends, it's a sin. It's burying the talent. It's hiding from the battle. This is Christ's new creation, his startup. He's called us to run it. He's called it to implement it, to us for it, to implement his restoration project. He's paid the ransom note. He's got the deed of the property. We're the rehabbers. He doesn't just have the property to sit there and just be dilapidated. He's making all things new. So let's take responsibility. That's what we want to get out of this message. We want to model Moses' faith that he had responsibility, responsibility to implement what God had given him to do. And we illustrated that through the Passover, through the new beginning that he launched. We are out launching the new beginning. Through the Passover blood, covering the sins of the people, we're to go out and implement that blood. We're to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ will do the work. He'll change the heart. We're to do that. We're to stand up against God's so-called enemies who have already been defeated. We're to face that opposition. That's how we do it. That's how we win. That's what's so perfectly... You guys are staying here anyway all day, so it doesn't matter. I'm going to keep going. You guys are here as a church, as a local church, to do this. That's what our job is. It's not just to come and listen to messages to feel good and then leave. Ask yourself what you're doing. Again, not with pressure or guilt, but ask yourself, am I, Lord, I want to be used by you. How do I do it? Use the things that you've given me, Lord, for your glory. Amen? Amen. Father, we pray that you would impress upon our hearts that path, Lord, that path to what it is you have us to do, that we would implement the new beginning, Lord, that you started at the cross and at the resurrection, that we would proclaim as you've commanded the gospel of salvation, that all who hear it, Lord, will either be convicted and turn away or be convicted and turn to you. But that's in your hands, Lord. We pray, Lord, against the enemies, the Red Seas that are standing before us now, that are going to stand before us tomorrow, and that are going to stand before us until the day we come to you. Allow us to fight those Red Seas, those guardians, Lord. Let us barrel through because we know who is behind us, and that is you.